Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's the Awesomeo NBA Strategy Show, sponsored by No House Advantage. Guys, we only have two games on today's slate, so if you have questions you want to ask about life, fantasy <laughs> basketball, ideally, just general questions, anything. Maybe you want to talk about digital sports trading cards. That's all the rage. And by the way, I'm I'm joined right now by one of the premier sports digital traders, also a future husband of Katie Bell, none other than the boss man, Alex Baker. Alex, what is going on? <laughs> What's up, Greg? Yeah, today's slate, uh, it's a little bit of a change of pace with only two games, but there's just as much money to be won tonight. So, I mean, we got to figure out the angles that we're going to win this money because uh, everyone's going to be on the same place tonight. Yeah, that's definitely something we see a whole lot with two game slates. There's a lot of overlap. And, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting about this season in particular is because the, the season's so condensed and they're playing less games and there's less rest less travel and all that there's way less two game slates than we typically see this is only the second one if i remember since opening day so maybe something that people aren't as familiar with if they only just started playing dfs or just haven't played it a lot recently so just in general how will you approach a two game slate differently than say a 10 game or six game slate well i mean everyone's pretty high owned so uh it's it's tough to find a guy that's like one to five percent owned that's any good basically on on a slate like tonight so it makes it really tough to find those sleepers so i focus more on general lineup construction as a whole not necessarily leaving money on the table but just coming up with some combination of players that maybe they they're all like pretty owned but then the combination of them because of roster constraints is a little bit less owned I'm trying to find small edges like that. I mean, it's a whole different game with two two game slates. Yeah, um, and then you also mentioned leaving salary on the table. Um, maybe not necessarily being the the premier strategy, but it's something I'm more apt to do on a two game slate, right? Because there's a lot of people, especially if somebody just playing one or two lineups in their hand building it's just kind of a natural tendency. You'll see people just want to fill all the strategy. It's something that I'll do in my head sometimes. Also, if I'm building just a hand lineup for 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 a slate and I'm only making one lineup or something in my head there's always a feeling like oh I have to use all my salary and that's something that you don't really always have to do especially because if there's a cheaper guy who projects somewhat similarly to a guy who's say a thousand dollars more expensive at least for a two-game slate you have a, a better chance of having a unique lineup 
that isn't duped as often. Everything's going to be somewhat duped most likely, but at least you have less dupes if you leave salary on the table. So that is something that I'll keep in mind also. And guys, don't forget, come ask us some questions here because uh, once again, only two games, we've got time to fill. There's no way we're going to be able to fill an hour just talking <laughs> about two games. And if, if we want to fill as much time as possible, we could, um, we could definitely get to some, some questions about anything. Like I said, any life. About the, the leaving salary on the table, because I feel like it's very site specific, the strategy. I think it's a much better strategy on FanDuel, where because of the roster constraints, there's a lot less options at each position. So, like, if you leave 1K on the table, there's fewer players that each guy in your lineup has to beat because there are just less ways to spend that money. Whereas if you put, if you leave it 1K on the table, <clears throat> On uh, DraftKings, let's say you have Darius Baisley in the flex. Like, first of all, he has to beat one, two, three, four, five, six players that are higher salary than him. And then, like, you have to apply that to, like, every single roster spot in your lineup. So, you basically, you you need, like, perfect combo um, of players to to pull that off. I mean, that's why the two-game slates get so tricky. Yeah, and I totally agree with you, especially if you look at, like, the center position on FanDuel as an example. We've got Nikola Jokic, Rudy Gobert, Steven Adams, all viable plays, and then you drop down to, like, Derek Favors at 4,200, Jackson Hayes at 4,000. So you really get to a point where just the players drop off so dramatically where you can make case there's three viable center options in terms of actually viable, and then after that you're just kind of taking chances on on other guys. So the point's definitely taken that if you're playing on FanDuel and leaving salary on the table – even upwards of, you know, thousand, two thousand dollars It makes sense because, like you said, there's only so many guys to beat out. And at some positions, it's literally, it's literally like three guys at some positions to beat out. Um, so let's start talking about some of the games. As people have questions, we could dive into those as well. First game on the slate, the Denver Nuggets taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nuggets favored by nine points, a 220 and a half point total. So one thing I think we have to talk about here to start with is Nikola Jokic because He's obviously the guy who's going to project as the overall top scorer on the slate. But also, with this being a two-game slate, at least in initial builds I'm doing, unless something changes in terms of news, there's not that much value. And I found it a little hard to fit Nikola Jokic into lineups, at least not at a rate that I actually wanted to. And I feel that at least how this slate sets up now, there's a pretty big opportunity cost just trying to jam Jokic in everywhere. Do you feel the same to me, or are you willing to just try to play Jokic anyway, at the even with the lack of some of the value on the slate? Yeah, I mean, today's slate has very little value, as you're saying. And part of that, like on New Orleans, for instance, we have a player coming back from injury. So it's like even worse than a normal day, as well as Utah, where Joe Ingles could be coming back. So that just creates two teams that basically have no value options. Denver, um, I guess Michael Porter Jr. remains out. Oklahoma City, Al Horford remains out. So there's some guys that don't quite normally get as much burn that are getting run. Guys like P.J. Dozier, um, Jamichael Green. Uh, and then on Oklahoma City, like Roby and Muscala and Kenrich Williams. But they've all gotten their price bumped up because this situation has been the same for a few days. So... Going back to the original question, yeah, like Jokic looks like a great individual play at 11K, but then you're having to get guys like PJ Dozier in your lineup that are very unlikely to succeed. 
So talking about PJ Dozier, at least relative to the slate, he's somebody I actually like a little, a little bit just because of the limited options. So like, do you remember Gary Harris used to be good? I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> there was a point in time where Gary Harris was a viable NBA player and he missed some time this year. He's, been, he's gotten injured a ton over the last couple of years, but he came back from injury last game. And even though he was back in the lineup and played uh, 20 something minutes, PJ Dozier still got more run than him. PJ Dozier last game ended up playing, I think it was around 30 minutes. I'm bringing it up just to be short. Uh, 28 minutes for PJ Dozier last game. And that was even with Gary Harris back in the lineup. It was also a competitive game against Utah. So PJ, PJ Dozier, if we're looking for a cheap option, who I think at least has the chance for playing time, which is really all you could ask for on a two-game slate, I think that he's somebody who's going to be making it into my lineups, at least at a greater rate, I think, than the field is. Do you have any confidence in those minutes for PJ Dozier? And do you think what he did last game in terms of playing 28 minutes is something that's repeatable? It's definitely repeatable. Uh, I mean, whenever a player gets going, they're going to get the minutes kind of fed to them by the coach. But looking at this particular game where it was Denver versus Utah, um, Gary Harris picked up two fouls in the first six minutes. Then in the third quarter, he picked up two more fouls. So he was limited a little bit due to foul trouble, which directly benefited P.J. Dozier, who came in for him. So, uh, I mean, Gary Harris isn't a guy that's very foul-prone, if I remember correctly. Um, shooting guards usually aren't, but I'm pulling it up. 3.4, or sorry, 2.5 fouls for 36. So it's pretty unlikely he will get in foul trouble on any given night. But P.J. Dozier, he's averaged 23 minutes a game over the last five the one thing is I, I kind of remembered P.J. Dozier as being this high-energy guy off the bench from the bubble, but this year that really hasn't been the case. He's only had 14.4% usage compared to 20% last year, a 10% assist percentage compared to 21% last year. Uh, the one set where he's really upped his game is the rebounding, where his rebounds are up about 50% on the defensive end. But uh, his permanent production this year appears to be a little bit worse than it was last year. Yeah, and it is uh, definitely not somebody I would be, even if it was like a four-game slate. I don't <laughs> think I'd be. I don't think I'd be considering PJ Dozier. But here we are. We've got two games. There's only so many cheap options. Is there anybody else from Denver that stands out to you? I mean, it's 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 hard to really say that anybody stands. It's also hard to just not talk about a two-game slate and recommend everybody as a play. But the reality <laughs> is that everybody is in play the only guys who aren't are the guys who literally aren't in the rotation. Uh, so are there any players that you think maybe could be going overlooked from the Denver side? Well, I think, um, I mean, Jamichael Green is always an interesting candidate to talk about. His minutes have been really weird because a few games he's backed up Paul Millsap. Millsap's only averaged 24 minutes a game on the season. So that opens up Jamichael Green to big minutes. But then we look at last game, and Jamichael Green mostly backed up Jokic, so his minutes were a lot lower. Isaiah Hardenstein, like, barely played in that game. Um, I guess he backed up Millsap and Jokic. I, I don't want to uh, misspeak, but um, neither Millsap nor Jamichael Green was in the closing lineup. Uh, it was P.J. Dozier, so that uh, that kind of – squeezed him out of the minutes last game, but he has averaged 23 a game over the last five. And then his usage this year, it's like the opposite of PJ Dozier where 
you take him, he was on the Clippers last year, if I remember right, and very, like, secondary option. His usage percentage was only 13%. Totally new team. Now he's at 21% usage, so he's actually a pretty good per-minute guy. And since he's backing up Millsap and Jokic, there's a little bit more path to him getting the minutes, but still can't feel very confident on any individual night of pegging a good Jermichael Green performance. No, not at all. And on the other side of the game, we've got plenty of Oklahoma City Thunder players who I'm not sure that we could really feel great about their individual performances. Uh, We do have Al Horford, who's away from the team. I'm pretty sure it's for a personal issue. Uh, Without him in there, we've had Isaiah Roby uh, starting. Now, Roby, to this point, he's performed pretty well as a starter. The difference with this slate compared to other slates, though, is any other time we had the opportunity to roster Isaiah Roby, he was like a 3,000 guy or somebody who was close to the bare minimum. Not really the case anymore. So Roby at his price point, still on the cheaper end, and he's going to start. So I think that he is going to be in play. Have to worry a little bit about Jokic potentially getting him in foul trouble. It seems to be a, a, an issue that Roby's had is staying on the court and not fouling. Uh, but with that said, with the price raise on Isaiah Roby, do you still think he makes for a good play? Or are there other guys in the front court you're going to be looking at from Oklahoma City? Yeah, I think Roby is a very solid play. Probably the best value on the slate just because, I mean, he's a starting center. That's 4K. And the guy backing him up is Mike Muscala, (laughs) a guy that the Oklahoma City Thunder really don't have any reason to play him other than they need someone on the court. So Isaiah Roby is like more uh, of a prospect. It's his second year. Really didn't play last year, but he's only 22 years old more of a power forward than a center. So it's kind of intriguing that they're starting him at center. Um, But yeah, I think the matchup's really scary versus Jokic where uh, he could pick up a lot of fouls. And then Muscala would be the big beneficiary who went on the court. He's going to get some decent stats. So one of my rules tonight is I'm not going to have lineups with Roby and Muscala in the same lineup. Yeah, I like that, and that was actually something I was going to bring up to you next because I think that makes a whole lot of sense because, number one, they're not going to share the court together. We've seen that so far when these guys play is that generally it's going to be either Isaiah Roby or Mike Muscala playing the center minutes. I definitely think that Isaiah Roby is the priority there, but I also think it makes sense you get some exposure to Mike Muscala, and then how much exposure I want to get to Mike Muscala is probably going to depend on what the ownership is for Isaiah Roby because if Roby is ultra, ultra popular – then there's going to be a thing where I'll say like, hey, you know what? I'm willing to get like 15% exposure or something like that to Mike Muscala. It might not seem like a huge number, but something like that is probably going to end up being overweight to the field by the time the dust settles on ownership. And that'll be a nice little leverage play if Roby gets into foul trouble. Do you feel similarly? So are you going to base how much Muscala ownership you're willing to get based on the Roby ownership? Well, here's the tricky part is we have to kind of ascertain what are the chances of foul trouble. So Isaiah Roby he's averaged 4.7 fouls per 36. That's pretty high, but it's nowhere near the levels of a lot of centers like Precious Achua, who was chalk for a few days. He's at seven or uh, 5.5 fouls per 36. The more that climbs, like the fewer minutes that you can project a player for the higher chance of the foul trouble. So <clears throat> I think that, uh, Muscala is a good pivot, um, but based on my projection of 27 minutes on the site, we have this boom bust tool. So, 
Um, it will give you the chance that a player will be in the optimal lineup. We have that as about 51%, which is very comparable with his ownership of 49% on DraftKings. On FanDuel, 37% versus 36%. So there's really nothing there. So I think uh, he's a very solid play tonight, Ropey. Uh, Muscala is a good pivot as well. But I don't, I don't see myself taking a huge stand one way or the other. Yeah, I have nothing more exciting than going through it, having a long conversation. Realize, you know, this guy's about a neutral play, He's, <laughs> that's, which also ends up happening a whole bunch. Uh, so somebody who I have gotten to a ton this year, I don't think there's been a single Thunder slate this year that I've not been overweight to the field on Shy Gilgis Alexander. This could be one of the first slates, at least on DraftKings. FanDuel still looks pretty solid at 8,600. But at 8,700 on DraftKings, I'm finding it a little difficult to get up to SGA. There's guys like Zion's less expensive than him. Donovan Mitchell's less expensive than him. He's in the same price range as somebody like Brandon Ingram, who I think is probably going to end up being somebody that I want to get to a little bit more than SGA. So in terms of Shy Gilgis Alexander, are you like me? Have you just rostered him a ton this season? Definitely. Yeah. He's, I mean, his salary started off real low because of all these blowouts Oklahoma City was in. But blowouts, even for a bad NBA team like Oklahoma City, shouldn't be that common. I have this game at about a 15% blowout risk. Um, So, I mean, his usage and assist rate has been huge this year, way better than when he was playing alongside Chris Paul. So I think he's one of the better fantasy producers on one of these bad teams, you know. So I think he's a very solid fantasy player. But tonight, you're right, they really jacked up the price on DraftKings. You're going to have to really make sacrifices to get Shea Gilgis Alexander in there. Uh, so I think he's just in play, but not really a standout option. Yeah, that's how I feel too. It's different on on FanDuel just because the shooting guard options, there's literally like six guys that are viable options. And he just makes it into mix that. And generally the salary constraints, not as restrictive on FanDuel. So I found it a little easier to get to him. DraftKings, it's tough. And not somebody who I was really easily able to fit in. Uh, One other guy we want to ask you about is a potential value play, George Hill, because he's somebody who started the year as a mega chalk play. I think if I remember the first slate of the season, he was like the second or third highest owned value play. And what's happened since then with George Hill is he's still been relatively popular sometimes. However, the usage hasn't been there for him. The minutes also haven't been there, although they've kind of generally crept up a little bit because he was somebody who's playing like 24, 25 minutes to open the season. Now he's playing around 28. That's what I expect from him on this slate. I uh, played 33 last game, but that was also an overtime game. But this is also different because on DraftKings, where we are really starved for value and George Hill is at 4,300, I actually think that even though he's somebody I've been concerned about the playing time with, one of my favorite value plays on DraftKings for today, do you feel similarly about George Hill? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh George Hill, he, he's had pretty good permanent numbers. Like uh, the one thing is the minutes just haven't really been there. They haven't run. I mean, they brought in two vets in the offseason, George Hill and Isaiah Roby. And, uh, or sorry, not Isaiah Roby. I don't know why I said him. Uh, George <laughs> Hill and Al Horford. So, <clears throat> like, I was expecting big things from both of them because, like, they're going to these really bad teams where they should be able to have a bigger role because George Hill came from Milwaukee, but the minutes really haven't been there. I guess it's because they've been wanting to develop this guy, Theo Maladon, off the bench, um, who's seen about 20 minutes a game. 
that does leave room for George Hill to play 28 on a good day. So I think he's a solid play. I mean, you're going to need guys at that price tag that you can count on producing a, like at least like 20 points, which I feel like is a reasonable expectation for George Hill because there just aren't very many cheap guys below 4K that, that have any value. So I think George Hill is a solid play tonight. So mentioning uh, Theo Maladon in there, he doesn't have much upside, but if you look at his box scores, he's been pretty consistently around like 14 to 16 DraftKings points per game, not playing the, the biggest minutes in the world, but just considering that George Hill is probably going to end up being a pretty popular play on this slate, at least on DraftKings, do you think that there's any value in making a pivot to Theo Maladon, just like how we're considering a potential pivot to Mike Muscala off of Isaiah Roby? So Maladon is about a uh, 0.66 fantasy points per minute guy on the season. So um, now that I'm digging into these numbers, it looks like his turnover percent is, has been quite high. That's a little bit of a variant stat, so I wouldn't count on that. But uh, the usage, 18.3%, assist percent, 22%, those are good. The, the rebounding is very lackluster, so you're going to need him to, uh, to play a good amount of minutes to get there. So, I mean, like, compared to the alternatives, I feel, like, <laughs> decent about him, where, like, he's the same price as, like, Jackson Hayes and Kenrich Williams. Um, and on the Boom Boss tool, we have him as about a 7.4% chance of being in the optimal lineup compared to 8% ownership. So that, that looks solid. I mean, he's a guy when just looking at the projection and the price, I'm like, hell no. But then, like, in the context of the slate, I'm like, hey, maybe. <laughs> so, And here's the situation where it works out, right? Because at 3,500 on a typical slate, you're looking for that guy to be somebody who scores, you know, like 25 fantasy points or something like that on DraftKings. <clears throat> to really end up in the optimal lineup. But let's say that Nikola Jokic goes out and puts up a triple-double. Not a crazy proposition. It's what he's averaging for the season. Let's say we get one of those 70 fantasy point games out of Jokic. You start to look at some of these cheap guys, and basically they all suck, right? It's very likely that none of them are going to have good games. But if Jokic really goes off and has a ceiling game, then you might be in a situation where getting 13 or 14 points out of somebody like Maladon is enough to end up in the optimal lineup. So I really think rostering somebody like Maladon probably has less to do with him it has more to do with the ceiling of somebody like Nikola Jokic. Does, does that make sense? Definitely, yeah. And, I mean, at that point, it's important to point out that if you're picking a guy like Maladon, leaving salary on the table is a much less appealing option because the chances that he outscores this 4K range of guys like um, Gary Harris, Millsap, uh, Monty Morris is pretty low, so... George Hill is also in that range, Isaiah Roby. So, like, the number of ways you can get beat increase a ton when you have a guy that you're hoping gets about 15 points on a good day. So, um, it is – I mean, that's one interesting strategy today is you just pick a total punt that you're going to just need all the other players to excel so that, like, makes it the optimal lineup. I think that is a viable strategy today, and – on DraftKings, there's like so many different combinations with multi-position eligibility that duping isn't as much a factor as you, you would expect compared to other sports. So even on the 65K tournament, I think you can build lineups that have 50K in salary that are still very strong. 
And are there any other players on Oklahoma City that you think bear mentioning before we move on? <laughs> um, well, I guess uh, Hamadou Diallo, he's a high upside guy. Blue Dort is someone I'd probably avoid because uh, his price has just gone up. He's not a very great fantasy producer. Um, I guess some of the new guys in the rotation are kind of intriguing, like Lexi Pokachevsky, but he saw his minutes kind of curtail at last game because of Kenrich Williams, who is uh, not a very good permanent producer. So the long answer is no. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, by the way, you did pronounce Pokashevsky correctly, at least to my knowledge. That's how I've been saying his name. We could be totally nice. wrong, though, and uh, I don't think anybody will be here to correct us because I don't think anybody <laughs> else knows how to pronounce it either. Uh, so... That will do it for the first game on the slate. Guys, today's show is sponsored by No House Advantage, uh, taking a different spin on daily fantasy sports by offering player prop contests across the NBA, MLB, NFL, and PGA. This is an exclusively peer-to-peer platform. Levels the playing field, makes it easier to win real real cash compared to your traditional DFS sites. And the best part is that you could join for free today. Download the No House Advantage app and check out the daily prop contest without having to deposit a dime. And then when you are ready to make your first deposit, No House Advantage will match up to $20 in free play when you use the promo code AWESOMO. Refer a friend and get $5 more after their first deposit. Beat your friends, not the house. Win big with player props today. So I wrote down here a couple of player props that stood out to me, and that will also transition us to the next game. The first one, this looked pretty high to me. Brandon Ingram over under 24 and a half points. Brandon Ingram already, I'll take the L on a lot of things uh, across players that have made evaluations on. Brandon Ingram being one of them. He's somebody who I never thought was going to be like a high-level all-star type prospect. He's that- it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And then some right now. Uh, but with that said, this is a tough matchup for him going up against the Jazz. I kind of do expect with Zion Williamson back in the lineup and playing extended minutes at some point, that's going to impact Brandon Ingram's usage this year, at least a little bit compared to last year. So the 24 and a half prop, that looks a little bit high to me. Would you agree or disagree with that assessment? Yeah, I think um, so on the projections, you can pull up my projected stats if you're betting at home and kind of see where I'm at in basketball it's pretty normally distributed so the projection should correlate with the line pretty closely i agree with your assessment that ingram's prop is too high i I think um all the factors like he's been a little bit uh the the line has been a little bit um uh injured recently but now it's back to full strength that should decrease his opportunities a little bit i think that he should be more in the 22 to 23 range, not 24. So that is a good enough edge to bet in NBA props. And then one other player, uh, we just mentioned him, Nikola Jokic, who it's pretty hard to get to him like we talked about on traditional DFS sites. A little bit different on No House Advantage. We're just looking at the props. His assist prop, it's seven and a half. For a guy who's averaging a triple-double this year, I understand the Pelicans defense has been much stronger this year than it has been in previous years. 
But given the assist totals that we've seen from Nikola Jokic so far, I'm leaning towards the over on the seven and a half assist prop. Uh, which way do you go on that number? Yeah, I think uh, the over is pretty solid. I mean, we're comparing it to how many assists he's averaged a game as kind of our baseline because that shouldn't change a lot from night to night. He's averaged 10 assists per game. So it seems like they're lowballing him at 7.5 assists per 30 uh, per game are something that should level off pretty quickly as far as variance. So I think that prop on no house advantage feel pretty good about the over. All right. So let's launch into our next game here. We have the Utah jazz as six point favorites taking on the new Orleans Pelicans only a 218 total. Uh, one thing that has been a pretty big difference this year with New Orleans as compared to last year, and I think we could attribute this to a coaching change, where last year Alvin Gentry was the coach. They were one of the fastest-paced teams in the league. They're also one of the weaker defenses in the league this year, playing at a slow pace and a much stronger defense. So that has impacted uh, some fantasy outings against them. Definitely gave me a little bit of a hard time in terms of projecting opponents against the Pelicans to open the year, just because it's always hard when, for me at least, when there's that adjustment period where a team is so radically different from one year to the next year. Another one we've seen is the Cleveland Cavaliers, who literally finished dead last in the league in defensive efficiency last year. Now they're near the top of the league. So it's it's always a thing where I think we have to see a few games, let it play out, see how it works. And definitely it appears that the Pelicans are not nearly the same uh, strength of fantasy opponent this year as they were last year. But with that said, no choice but to target them, and we only have two games to choose from. Uh, the key injury news here, Joe Ingles is questionable to play. He's missed the last few games with an Achilles injury. Still questionable. So let's start with Joe Ingles. If he's in, what would you make of him as a fantasy option? So he's averaged about 26 minutes a game. Uh, I mean, on <laughs> a normal slate, probably not a ton of value. But tonight, we got to think about it at least. The price on FanDuel is much better at 4400 than DraftKings at 5K. I mean, he's not a great for permanent producer. I guess the minutes are kind of limited, too, because he's basically spelling Connolly and Mitchell, two of the better players in the league, um, as well as Boyan Bogdanovich, although I guess Clarkson may back him up a little bit more as far as role. So I think uh, Ingles being back hurts some value to, to Bogdanovich and to Clarkson primarily. So those guys are looking a little bit overpriced today. Yes. Yeah, so the guy, and this is obviously assuming that Joe Ingles is in, the guy that I have an impact the most would be Jordan Clarkson. And that's that's noticeable notable for a couple of reasons. Number one, Clarkson's been playing very well recently. And he's also been a very popular play. So I know that people are, because we got in the chat, one of the first things I saw people say was, is Jordan Clarkson a lock? I, Jordan Clarkson's my favorite play. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson has won a lot of people a, a lot of money over the last couple of weeks, and he's become very popular. People are going to want to keep rostering him. If Joe Ingles plays tonight, I think that Jordan Clarkson is the player who takes the biggest hit on the Utah Jazz roster because Clarkson coming off the bench, there isn't all that much wiggle room for his minutes. I mean, if we look at his playing time over the last handful of games, 29 minutes, 28 minutes, 28 minutes, 25 minutes, 35. That's great. But go back to earlier in the year when Joe Ingles was in there, and you have Clarkson playing 22 minutes, 23, 26, 19, 21. If you're going to take Jordan Clarkson from playing 28, 29 minutes a game to now playing 23, 24, that's a big difference, especially in somebody who might be relatively popular. So depending on if Jordan Clarkson ends up being like a massive chalk player or something like that, 
I'd be willing to not really get to him at all if Joe Ingles is in there. So would you agree with that assessment that Jordan Clarkson is probably the guy who takes the biggest hit if, if Joe Ingles plays? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the minutes, the path of minutes for Clarkson just goes way down uh, with Ingles on the, uh, in the rotation. So, um, I mean, uh, basically you're taking my Oni and replacing him with Joe Ingles. So that's about a 14 minute per game difference. Uh, so those minutes are coming directly from Bogdanovich and from Clarkson. Since he has been on a hot streak recently, he's been uh, seeing his price go up to unheard of levels. And I mean, there's a outside chance that he could get hot on any given night but he doesn't really get assists or rebounds to any major extent. So um, I think he'd probably be one of the weaker plays on today's slate if Ingles plays. So my favorite player on the Utah Jazz, I, I, I don't know I don't know if favorite would be the right word. At least here's the guy who I'm getting the most exposure to on my initial runs on DraftKings from Utah, and that's Rudy Gobert. And this is less to do with Gobert necessarily being the best points per dollar play in the world at 7,600. But I do have him projected for a little over 40 fantasy points at his price point. That's very favorable, especially on a slate that lacks value. And the other thing, too, that we've said is with the slate where it's hard to get up to the high-end guys like Nikola Jokic, Shai Gilgis-Alexander on Utah, I think that kind of getting some of these secondary stars like a Rudy Gobert, like a Zion Williamson we'll talk about in a second, I think that's a good way to get upside in kind of the mid-ish upper tier price range. So Rudy Gobert is somebody who stands out to me. Do you like him as well, or do you feel a little bit differently about him? I think, uh, I mean, he looks to be a pretty solid play. Uh, the matchup versus New Orleans, uh, not anything to to really move the needle one way or the other, but they do get blocked at a higher rate than average, which is playing into Gobert's skill set. The minutes this year haven't been that exciting with Derek Favors being the backup. They're down a little bit. So I think he's a a solid play, but nothing. I'm going to go out of my way to to put in a lineup. I will point out, I guess, uh, this range at center looks like it's pretty lacking of options. So you got him or you got Zion Williamson on DraftKings. On FanDuel, there is no center within like 3K of salary. So... (laughs) Like, there's a very good argument to just throwing him in there. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, like I said at the top, we've Nikola Jokic, 11,500 on FanDuel. Then there's Rudy Gobert, 8,500. Then we've got Steven Adams at 5,800. And then we've got Al Horford, who's out. Derek Favors is playing limited minutes at 4,200. And then you just got bench guys. And Derek Favors is also one of those bench guys, but at least a more notable bench guy than some of the other ones. So, FanDuel, I kind of feel like playing the center position is almost going to be like fill out the rest of your roster and then however much salary you have left over is the center you play because that's just kind of how it shakes out with there being such big price gaps in between the centers. Uh, other guys on the Utah Jazz, um, at least on FanDuel, I find it hard to not get a lot of Donovan Mitchell just because of the relative lack of shooting guard options. In terms of uh, forward play, I think that Boyan Bogdanovich offers some value at 5,300 on DraftKings. And then on FanDuel, he is at uh, – where is his price on FanDuel? He is 5000 on FanDuel, so one of the better cheap small forward options. Actually, the cheap small forward I'm getting the most exposure to, at least in my initial builds. 
So Utah Jazz, what do you think about Bojan Bogdanovic? Is, is he a good play for this league? Because he, he's standing out to me as one of my favorite value options. So I think Bogdanovich this year has seen his role change uh, a pretty decent amount where last year Utah's offense ran the pick and roll with him as one of the main guys a lot. His usage last year was 25%. This year is down to 20%. So the ball's in his hands a lot less than we're accustomed to from previous years. And then the rebounding and assists have never been that good. So it's just a question, does he get the minutes? I think he was getting a few extra minutes with Ingles on the um, or on the inactive list. So now that I'm kind of taking those minutes back to a season average of 30, I think uh, he's a pretty risky play. I might just try to spend down in the 4K range to guys that are playing similar minutes uh, that are just a bit cheaper. Okay, I think, I think that makes sense. Um, and that might be enough for me to reevaluate how I view Bojan Bogdanovic on this slate a little bit. Uh, it's just so hard to find value, and it's just anybody who's relatively cheap that I think is going to play around 30 minutes. I'm like, I want to get exposure to that guy. Uh, and then most of them are going to probably end up sucking anyway. Uh, other Jazz guys, what are you doing with somebody like Mike Conley, who at this point I think is a little bit overpriced? He looks miles better this year than he did last year with Utah. I think there was a period last year, there was a couple things that were going on that I think led him to struggle in his first year with the Jazz. First, he only averaged around 25 fantasy points per game. That was the the least he's averaged in a very long time. A guy who's never an all-star, but kind of the next year below of that player uh, during all his time in Memphis. The other thing, too, to consider with Conley last year, so not only was he adjusting to a new team, but he injured his hamstring earlier in the season, came back with a minutes restriction, then immediately got re-injured, then came back and then was also a little bit restricted when he came back the second time. So there's a lot of reasons to think that Mike Conley's production last year was not necessarily a result of him being washed, but just kind of, circumstance of injury and then everything else to him adjusting to a new team now with all of that said Mike Conley's now gotten to be pretty expensive after a couple of good performances and to me I think he's priced a little bit too high now are you willing to pay the price tag for Mike Conley or like me do you think it's a little too expensive I think it's a little too high especially on Fandle where he's more expensive than the DraftKings the big knock against Mike Conley is just the way the rotation works in Utah where He's playing three shifts a game, and it's difficult the way they're running him for him to get more than maybe like 32 minutes on a good night. So that's going to make his minutes a little bit underwhelming. The permanent production, though, is good. He uh, is around with fantasy points per minute, but that price tag, that's about what you'd expect, and he's just not seeing quite as many minutes as some other guys on the slate. And then anybody else from Utah really standing out? I understand some people are saying, like, why are we talking about every player? Because we've got time <laughs> to fill, and it's a two-game slate, and the reality is that every player matters on a two-game slate. Uh, so any, anybody else here that, that bears mentioning? Well, Donovan Mitchell, I don't think you guys need us to explain that he's a good fantasy player. Um, but Derek Favors may be an uh, interesting play just because we're talking about salary constraints a lot. At center, there um, aren't very many options on FanDuel. Rudy Gobert is not the most foul-prone player in the league. His fouls per 36 are about uh, 2.5 this year and 3.3 last year. So for a center, he doesn't get in foul trouble much. But I feel like favors could get there. 
just because, I mean, the only other center in his range is Jackson Hayes on FanDuel. On DraftKings, uh, let's see. It's a, I mean, he's a little bit trickier because Muscala is cheaper and probably will average more minutes. So maybe uh, if you're playing Roby, you're kind of betting against Muscala having a good game, and then maybe you slide favors in your lineup uh, to get a really unique lineup construction. All right, and guys, I haven't, I haven't hawked for likes at all this, this show, so let's do a little view here. You guys like, you guys like the show here. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, of course, and also subscribe to the Awesome Podcast Network. For every time you like this video, your favorite terrible value play will score an extra one-tenth of a fantasy point tonight. So that's why you should go ahead, like the video, and then maybe Theo Maladon will score 13.1 fantasy points instead of, uh, instead of 13 flat or something like that. So all the more reason to like the video. Help, help give you a little bit of extra value in your fantasy lineup. And also, don't forget that you can get access to all the great Awesome Plus tools and content for nearly every DFS sport out there with an Awesome Plus weekly pass for $29.95. This includes full access to our premium content and tools on Osmo.com, including player projections, ownership projections, our premium Slack channel, and much more. And if you are only looking to play, uh, say, NFL or NBA, you can get our Express Weekly Pass. Those will include some of our other deals that we have on the site. Uh, NFL, for example, that is only $14.95 for the NFL Weekly Express Pass. $3.95 includes access to projection and tools. For showdown and single-game contest, stop guessing, start winning, join Osmo Plus today. All right, final team to talk about here. We have the, Utah, uh, the uh, New Orleans Pelicans taking on the Utah Jazz. One of the tougher matchups on the slate, the Jazz with Rudy Gobert at center. They've long been one of the best defenses in the NBA. Uh, so with that said, there still could potentially be some value here. Lonzo Ball, who's missed the last handful of games with what is being called, I think it's bilateral knee soreness. I don't know exactly what that is, but that sounds no good. That sounds like his legs are about to fall off or something like that. Um, but it has led to him missing a handful of games recently. If Lonzo Ball comes back, let's start with that. What do you expect from him? Because I think it's hard to think that he's going to play a full allotment of minutes. Well, I mean, usually uh, when I'm looking at injuries like that, I'm looking at how long were they out to determine the severity of the injury in Lonzo Ball. <clears throat> He missed three games. Uh, the last game he played was 11 days ago. So I think I would just expect him to be back fully if uh, he plays today. And I think given that he practiced yesterday, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to play since he was a full pre- participant. So um, I think that we're going to see Nikhil Alexander-Walker most likely return to the bench, but that is one 8 p.m. or 7.30 p.m. surprise that we could get where maybe Alexander Walker is starting over Bledsoe just because maybe they want to develop him. But more likely Bledsoe and and Ball are going to be the starting guards. I think that Ball on FanDuel at 5,500 is a a decent play, but his permanent rates aren't very good playing alongside Ingram and Williamson. So on DraftKings, I'd probably just not having him in the player pool is just too expensive. Yeah, and uh, how about uh, with Shy Gilgis Alexander, somebody who obviously the status of Lonzo Ball, whether SGA, uh, SGA, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker, too many, too many Alexander Walkers yet. Whether he starts or comes off the bench, it's going to impact his 
his production, his playing time for sure. But even if he comes off the bench, would you be willing to roster him if, say, the price tag, if the uh, the ownership comes down, just from the standpoint of when he's been on the court recently, he's playing for our fantasy lineups. He's taking a lot of shots. We've seen we've seen that that usage up there for him. The first game is in the starting lineup. I think it was a thirty seven percent usage rate. Literally just took all the shots in the starting lineup. So considering how willing he's been to shoot. Uh, do you think that there is uh, an opportunity for him to be viable if he comes off the bench and ends up with lower ownership? Well, uh, I would probably not bank on it. And, I mean, his results have been pretty much all over the place coming off the bench for the first nine games of the season, anywhere from zero to 26 minutes. So, like, there's a wide range there. Um, but the price of 5400 on DraftKings at 4900 when I'm kind of projecting somewhere averaging around 20 minutes is just a little bit too high. We got to keep in mind he's he's competing for minutes with guys like J.J. Redick and Eric Bledsoe, who are probably, and Josh Hart, who are probably a little bit better overall players, even though Alexander Walker has a decent offensive skill set. Let's talk about some of the high-end options for the slate uh, from the Pelican side. We've got Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. Zion's interesting to me because I thought he was going to just absolutely crush the season. I thought he was going to come out and be somebody who was going to play, especially opening opening week. He had back-to-back games where he played 38 minutes, and I was like, boy, Zion Williamson at 38 minutes per game, he's just going to annihilate everybody. Obviously, he's not going to be able to do that every slate just because he gets into foul trouble sometimes. Sometimes there's other factors that also are at play. He's been a little underwhelming from a fantasy perspective for me, at least relative to expectations. But this kind of on this kind of slate, a short slate where he's not all that expensive, I still think the ceiling is there, even if we haven't quite seen it yet this year. So Zion's definitely somebody that I'm willing to take a lot of chances on. And frankly, actually, for the price tag on DraftKings, I slightly prefer him to Brandon Ingram, even though Ingram has been the better fantasy producer this year, just because the few hundred dollars of salary savings really comes up big, I think, for this slate. So comparing Zion to somebody like Brandon Ingram, are you with me where you think that Zion's a better play for this particular slate? Yeah, I I think Zion is better on DraftKings than Brandon Ingram, mostly because uh, Ingram in the past few games hasn't had to play alongside Bledsoe and Ball. That was going to be a huge uh, benefit for his assist numbers because that left him as the only ball handler on the team. Now with the potential of them both being back, his ball handling is going to be a little bit more limited. And... um, I think that Zion Williamson is less affected by the other guys being back because he's a high usage guy and gets a lot of rebounds, but assists aren't really his game. And then other guys on the Pelicans roster, I guess we have to talk about Steven Adams, particularly on FanDuel, because like we said, there's only a handful of viable center options on FanDuel. I think Steven Adams is somebody I'm going to get to a decent amount just based on the fact that he's the one cheap viable center. He's also meshed with Zion way better than I was expecting. I thought the fit with Steven Adams and Zion Williamson was going to be really wonky. But instead, Steven Adams has played relatively well this year. His assist rate has been decent. He's been making plays on offense. We randomly saw him get a triple-double, which was one of the odder triple-doubles I could ever remember playing against his old team in the Oklahoma City Thunder about a couple of weeks ago. So Steven Adams, I actually think for his price, is probably going to end up being my favorite center play on FanDuel. Uh, what do you make of Steven Adams on this slate? 
Yeah, I think he's really solid. Uh, I mean, he has seen his minutes go up a lot going from Oklahoma City to New Orleans. Last year, he only averaged 27 minutes a game. This year, at 31, so they're really running him out there a lot. But he's never really been a great rebounder for center position because he got some of the other guys get the boards. Um, but he does contribute a little bit in assists. They used to just kind of whatever. So... Solid play. I think the price is right. And uh, there aren't very many other centers in that range. So he makes a really good uh, lineup construction play. All right. And then any other players on the Pelicans we want to bring up? I actually think this is probably the worst team to find value on, just especially if Lonzo Ball comes back, because then you've got him soaking up minutes, and then you've got other guys who have been made more expensive during his time off. So I think this is one of the harder teams to roster. Are there any other players from the Pelicans that we have not mentioned that you think we should bring up? Josh Hart is somewhat interesting, at least on FanDuel, because uh, it doesn't really matter if he starts or not. He's averaged 29 minutes a game over the year. Uh, so maybe if he's at 27, that, that's still enough at 4,700 to maybe take a shot. But, man, I'm not seeing much either. I think that Alonzo Ball potentially being back would hurt J.J. Redick, uh, who has only averaged 22 minutes a game this year. That's... Not very many for 4K, so I'm not seeing very many cheapies on this team. All right, so if anybody has any questions, get them in now or forever be held silent because we are just about done with the show, and we've gone through – we've talked about these two games in depth way more than I thought was going to be possible. We've covered the ins and outs of the rotations of every single one of these teams. Uh, Guys, thank you very much for watching the show, and don't forget, follow us on Twitter at underscore awesome – awesomeo underscore com and then also follow us on twitter at awesomeo nba because that's where we're getting all the news basically anything that breaks you'll get it sent to twitter immediately and that is really something you need to be up to date on is any kind of nba breaking news find out whether lonzo ball is going to play or not stuff like that and then also it's valuable information out for sports betting too because if you're going to have push alerts sent on your phone from twitter from our awesomeo nba you never know when there could be a, a Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson or some players not even on the injury report that just gets ruled out. And getting those kind of alerts could also give you an edge to sports betting. So definitely keep that in mind. Follow us on Twitter. And also, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast network because we've got plenty of more shows coming up today. We have got NBA Live before locker later in the day. We've got the PGA Strategy Show, the NHL Strategy Show, NBA Deeper Dive, and UFC Live before lock. We've got everything covered today little bit of everything so you want to subscribe to the channel so you know exactly when all that goes live jordan that's going to do it for us today so hit the music and play us out no nobody asked nobody asked them so (laughs) it was it was i didn't i didn't want to just stall I, i tried to stall a little bit to get questions but there wasn't anything coming in <laughs> we killed it, man. Like, 